Hey guys, before we get into the show, I just want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Design Crowd. Uh, Design Crowd is a website that helps entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses outsource or crowdsource design. You can have custom logos, business cards, websites designed from designers all around the world. Design Crowd has over 600,000 designers from Sydney to San Francisco ready to help you with your awesome creative ideas. Get the perfect custom design every time. It's super easy to use as well. All you have to do is post a brief describing the design you need. Design Crowd will then invite its 600,000 designers to submit ideas. And over the course of three to 10 days, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 different designs from designers around the world. All you have to do is pick the design and then approve payment. To get your custom design done by the crowd, check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD to learn more and receive your special startup hand-me-downs VIP offer when you start your next project. All our listeners get a special $100 off their first project, so check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. That's designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. Or simply enter your discount code HMD when you start your next project. Sort of the place where it all started was on Pinterest for us. Mm-hmm. At the, uh, you know, when we launched, it was sort of like, oh, this is a thing. And then Pinterest was when we said, oh, we've got that up into the right curve. Yeah. And so we found Pinterest, you know, there's a lot of stories around that. But basically, we found Pinterest, that took off, and we took off along with it. And that's when I first said, I should convince some people to try and give me money so I can keep this going. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today was a very special episode because I got to interview my old boss. Um, When I moved to New York, I came to shadow and work with an entrepreneur called Derek Flanserich, who is the CEO and founder of Greatest. Greatest is a health and wellness media startup for millennials. They believe in order to live your best life, you need to be healthy-ish, which I'm sure that's something we can all relate to. Derek is the son of two medical doctors and he grew up on the west coast before moving to Miami at age 11. He later went on to study at the prestigious Harvard University where he found his passion for media and content creation. After graduating from college, he went on to work for a high-flying startup which would go on to exit just after six months of him joining, which he always likes to claim he had nothing to do with. (laughs) Someone who openly admits to struggling with his weight he decided to start a health and wellness blog with a group of friends. It wasn't going to be super intimidating, but it was going to be very informative where every post was backed by scientific study. Today, that site has 12 million unique visits per month. And what's really impressive, it's all organic. No spammy headlines or Facebook hacks, just straight up amazing content. They've raised $8 million to date and have some pretty amazing investors if I'm honest with the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk, 
where we meet Sethi from I Will Teach You How To Be Rich and Meriko from Floodgate Ventures, just to name a few. Cover a lot of ground on this episode, and this is probably one of the most transparent and honest interviews I think I've ever done. Like any other startup, Greatest has had its fair share of many highs and many lows. When you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, interesting. Depends on the crowd. Sometimes I'll say, my name is Phil. <laughs> but <laughs> no. Uh, you mean like professionally? Yeah. Yeah. I always say I'm CEO and founder of Greatest. Don't even tell them your name. You just go straight hand. Yeah. I try to <laughs> emphasize mostly that I am purely my profession and I have no personal characteristics. You were born CEO. Let's not go that far. No. So, um, so you originally grew up on, you were born on the West Coast and then you moved to the East Coast. So what was like early life like? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was born in, in California. My parents moved me to Miami and then uh, I ended up going back and forth on the coasts anyway. Now I'm here, I've been here in New York for six, seven years. I grew up struggling with my weight. So that's a big part of sort of my story is mm-hmm. that I, when I was eight, nine years old, cut my hand and ended up with my right arm in a cast for four years. And then right at the tail end of that, right as I was sort of feeling, drinking the most soda and feeling the most sort of out of sorts and uh, feeling very alone and reading lots of books, my parents decided to add insult to injury and move me to Miami, Florida. <laughs> so I think, I think that was a, I'm not sure how much they thought about it, but it felt to me at least like that was sort of wake up call a little bit that I was now surrounded by all these sexy people and like I needed to get my shit in order and uh, I just couldn't quite get around this notion of why should I get my shit in order to be sexy to please others like what do I really need and it wasn't until that I was like oh this doesn't make me feel good that it sort of started working started on my journey to trying to get more healthy and more fit and yeah I started to turn on these TV shows and read these magazines and you know, buy these products and try these programs and felt like every one of them made me feel worse about myself instead of better and wasn't on my side and felt so at odds with the way the world should be and what I needed. So I started reading all these scientific studies to kind of go straight to the source, started to bother all my friends about it. Mm. And the most shocking part of all of this was that they listened to me. (laughs) They like paid attention. And that probably laid the foundation for what I do today more than anything else is this feeling like, wow, I am not an expert. I don't quite know what I'm talking about, but somehow I'm resonating with my friends, resonating with, you know, this sort of generation millennials, like as a, as a, as a group, because I am talking about it in a more real, authentic sort of friend who's a little further along the way. And if you look at, take a look at what we do today at Greatest, like today, all the content's voice is that. Yeah. Now it's lots better than I was back then. Yeah, of course. We're going to get on to Greatest Origination shortly. But, oh, um, sorry. I'm jumping <laughs> Jumping the gun, but that's fine. Um, so, obviously, I've worked with you for a while, and I had the pleasure of shadowing you. Um, and something that I noticed whilst working with you was that entrepreneurship seemed quite natural. Yeah. So, like, where did this come from? Up until the point of starting greatest. Yeah. Oh, you want to talk about childhood. Uh, I think I've started stuff my whole life. I 
you know, I have strong opinions about this. I basically think some people are born to start things. And I think some people pretend like starting things is cool Mm -hmm. and are terribly misled. And I would love, there are times, frankly, in which I would love to not be someone who is a shit employee and who has to start his own thing all the time. Yeah. Uh, But whether it's a blessing or a curse, from a very early age, I was starting things. There's a, there's literally a framed picture of a sort of advertisement I had written uh, in my home in Florida right now, where when I was a little kid, I had like started a dog walking business Mm. and it was called the Flanswright Brothers because me and my three years younger brother apparently (laughs) were involved in this. And the idea was that we'd walk your dog but I was so small that I couldn't even hold the dogs. So I'm not really sure what I was thinking. Yeah. And I'm relatively sure that people signed up because I was really cute and my mom did all the walking. So, yeah. But my mom really encouraged me to always do stuff. My dad is very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the same resources and opportunities that he gifted me. And so the other part of this is this sense of everything that I've done, maybe besides the dog walking business, Everything that I've started or, or tried to start has always had a part of it that was about making social impact and about sort of giving back and bringing something to the community that was important. Uh, because I think that's, you know, I think that's really important. So, you know, in middle school and high school and college, I started these organizations and those organizations, you know, many of them are still around and all of them added something that was missing. Yeah. Um, and that I could be really passionate about because it was helping others. No, that's amazing. And um, so going on to greatest, obviously you explained that you had this struggle growing up with your weight. That kind of led you to greatest by accident or did you always know you were going to set up a media, another media company? Because all the other ventures that you had like at Harvard and at middle school were in the media space in some way. Yeah, they were. You know, I think media... All right, so the two questions here. The first one is like media in general. I've always just been enchanted with this notion that you could reach people on a big scale. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in middle school, I can't believe I'm talking about middle school, but in middle school, <laughs> I created this like, you know, online political forum, literally like a chat room and a blog. And we published a monthly newsletter. Right. And then uh, in, in college, I did this online TV show. So every time I was sort of adapting to what the new platforms are to try and get a larger message out. And so, and to build a brand, because I think brands are, if I reflect back on what I've done and what I think I am at least not terrible at, it's sort of building a brand and the importance of having a brand. So it wasn't until I graduated from college that I realized that building a brand and building a business around the thing that you're most passionate about personally is an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. I actually basically had assumed that health and wellness, both my passion and my struggles with health and wellness, yeah. were personal. And that's a thing I do on the side, you know, during my lunchtime or uh, sometimes actually like hide from my friends, you know, that I'm doing this on the side. And it wasn't until my first job out of college and my technically my only job, I guess now, uh, besides this one, you know, that I realized how important like that vision, sort of a contagious, heartfelt vision can be 
and what an unfair advantage again it can be to hire people, convince people to rally around your cause, and to keep you going at when things are really tough. And so I really took to heart this notion six months into this you know, startup I joined out of college that if I were to start my own thing, which by then I was thinking absolutely I would, and yeah. maybe even on a more accelerated timetable than I, you know, at the time kind of planned, yeah. uh, that it would have to be in that area that I was the most passionate about. And I knew what that was already, you know, yeah. uh, but I just hadn't kind of put it together that those could, that could be my job. And then, how did you start Brain Test? What was the first thing that you done? I think the, what was the first thing that I did? So the time I was, so I joined this company, and it was well-funded, Soma-based company, mm -hmm. high-flying, and it did spectacularly well. And I had nothing to do with it, but I was right. totally there. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt then, that I, the minute I came, I basically was like, man, I think I know better. Mm -hmm. And that is a very dangerous notion. You know, I've had that hubris pretty well be now in the last yeah. five or six years. Yeah. But I still have no lack of confidence. I unfortunately often do think I know better. Again, I'm trying to repress some of those feelings sure. <laughs> because it's unfair and I'm often wrong. <laughs> but, but this note, you know, and that, that was sort of part of what was propelling me to start my own thing. But because I hadn't clicked with me like that, I need to just go after health and wellness. Mm -hmm. um, I kept thinking like, what is the good idea? Like, what's the thing? Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time coming up with various business ventures, which I think a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time like feeling them out, you know, talking to people about them, sort of sketching the ideas, mm -hmm. talking to experts who knew something about the space. And nothing really felt right until I came back to sort of health and wellness. And I don't actually think you know about this, but my original plan was to buy a gym. Mm. A friend of mine owned a gym in, uh, in Soma, San Francisco, and he needed help, right? He was a really good gym runner, but bad at all these other things, you know? And he was like, well, come be my partner. And I, I thought about it. Oh. And the thinking... In that thinking process, I thought, I don't really know what people need. And it brought me back to the experience going through Weight Watchers growing up. It brought me back to the experience of, you know, the media things I'd done before and how you can build an audience over time and then learn from them. And sort of my response back to him was, can I build a big sort of media company around this notion so that we can eventually figure out how to scale a big multi-billion dollar business? And... This guy sort of was like, I really just want to build a gym. <laughs> <laughs> Meathead. <laughs> and, then, and then I thought, well, that's the least appealing part to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What's I want to do all this other stuff. Yeah. What's the rest? And so I decided to do all this other stuff. And it dawned on me, you know, that I could bring these two passions, my personal passion and sort of my business ambitions together. It sort of reinforce this notion that I didn't just want to build a business, but I wanted to build the business. Yeah. You've known me, I have no yeah. lack of ambition. Yeah. So I want to build fitness theme parks one day. Yeah. So getting to build fitness theme parks, you don't just build one. Yeah. To get <laughs> and then the other thing was it, it also, you know, sort of 
humbled me in the sense that I did not know really what the billion dollar business in this space, I didn't really know what that product and service would be. Because I'm a white dude who went to a good school and grew up on the coasts. Mm -hmm. And even though I feel like I've struggled in the sense that I've, you know, dealt with body image issues and continue to struggle my way today. So I kind of know what that struggle is like. Mm -hmm. It's very different from being the target audience of almost every single health and wellness product. Yeah. And I frankly never wanted to build health and wellness solutions for people that already figured it out. Mm -hmm. And so... That was when I said, what I need to do is build an audience of those people. I need to learn from them. And then I need to figure out what the right product and solution is. And so that's why I started a media company. You know, <laughs> because in many ways it was to learn. Yeah. And because I thought there was a, I was a huge, you know, nerd reading everything online. I thought there was a big opportunity, a big hole in a void of a brand that spoke to people like a friend that was a little further along. That way I spoke to my friends. And the voice that I felt was missing in the space. And then you were the first writer? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can't remember if technically I was the first writer. I knew from the beginning that I didn't, sometimes even today people call it a blog. For some reason, blog always, like, I imagine is like some dude in his pajamas. Yeah. Like, oh, Making 100k a month. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, from the very beginning, thought, again, very ambitiously about where this was all going to go. And so from the beginning, I had multiple people who I'd sort of brought on, people I'd worked with in college or people that I had begged my friends to introduce me to, uh, to, to basically be sort of help. And so there were editors and writers, and I was definitely the main editor, and I wrote a lot of the early stuff as well. And we spent two or three months actually writing content before we even went live, because a big... Part of my theory was you wanted to come to a site that already had... I wanted you to come to Greatest and say, where has this been? Yeah. Uh, how have I missed this? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And how were you, like, funding it at the beginning? Were they paid, these people? Were you guys, like, what was... How scrappy was it? Totally. Uh, nobody was paid anything. And I was working at a 24-hour Starbucks in San Francisco. So. <laughs> Great. Uh, with my roommates in, like, a... You know, four roommates in a you know, in the inner Richmond in San Francisco. So it was about as scrappy as it gets. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, what was like the turning point for you when you were like, okay, this is actually going to be a real thing. Like, yeah. we need to like maybe raise some money. We need to get more people. Like, people actually come to the site. Like, what was that day if you can remember? Yeah, you know, when I launched, my uh, my first answer to your question is I always believe. <laughs> so you have to <laughs> and, yeah and and i have never doubted it since but the moment in which i first thought man i can it's not just me who thinks this yeah yeah, yeah of course is when we launched in april of 2011 and people liked it mm. uh and there was you know not 100 200 people on the site at one time but 5,000. Mm. i just remember the feeling like my sort of creative growth hacking strategies and my vision about what a brand could be and what was missing in this space that I was not wrong about some of that. And that felt really validating and it felt exciting and it's what actually 
prompted me to move across the country mm-hmm. and move for the summer of 2011 into an Airbnb, which believe me, believe it or not, Airbnbs existed uh, <laughs> six, seven years ago, and move in that summer with a couple people who had been helping me who were just about to graduate from college. So I sort of sold them on this notion of, hey, you two are my trusted hands. Come, let's spend a crazy summer in New York. And you guys are on the East Coast. I'll just meet you there. And I can't afford to pay you, but we'll get an apartment together. So we all moved in. One of them I'd never met before. And we had a crazy summer. I'm sure. And there were ups and downs. By the end of the summer, I think we all knew that there was something, there was a there there. You know, there was something to this. And we kind of found our kickstart, sort of this, the fuel, sort of the place where it all started was on Pinterest for us. At the up, you know, when we launched, it was sort of like, oh, this is a thing. And then Pinterest was when we said, oh, we've got that up into the right curve. Yeah. And so we found Pinterest, you know, there's a lot of stories around that. But basically, we found Pinterest. That took off, and we took off along with it. And that's when I first said, I should convince some people to try and give me money so I can keep this going. So when you were, like, trying to get greatest off the ground, were you tinkering with other platforms? Or was Pinterest the first thing that worked? You're like... Oh crap, this is actually a thing. Oh, definitely not. We were trying to tinkering with everything. Right. Um, the moment where we found Pinterest was because we had all sat around and acknowledged the fact that we had no strategy and that <laughs> this notion of just create great content is, uh, I think, the number one strategy, but it's not enough on its own. You know, if you build it, they won't come, basically. Yeah. And so the question was, well, where are they? Who are they? And so we sort of decided that we would start narrowing down who our audience was. And the audience we decided on were basically millennials trying to get healthier. Yeah. And then we asked where that audience is and looked around the table and we were all on Pinterest, this new cool thing, and no real brands and businesses like ours were there. So we sort of decided that was our ticket. And look, spent months and months trying to figure it out. and kind of being on the cutting edge of what was needed on that platform, figured out a couple things that worked that I actually think, you know, we were really innovative actually on Pinterest and that paid off when Pinterest took off. Um, one thing I've always found very fascinating about Graces is the fact that you guys, you don't play the media game the same way everyone else does. And you guys get, you know, last time I checked, like 12 million uniques at its peak. Last night, literally last night, I saw an LED sign on a taxi for Pure Wow, right? You guys just don't do stuff like that. You send zero marketing dollars. Like, how have you been able to still stay relevant with such a huge audience whilst not spending any money? Yeah, it's like, I just don't like playing games. <laughs> I think it's all about what you're trying to build. Yeah. So if you take like a big step backward and you say, what is this all for? Mm-hmm. I told you I didn't even intend to really build you know, only a media business. Mm-hmm. But I intended to use media as a springboard, actually, for you know the way you know this like the brand of the future. Right. And if that's your goal, then you can't mess with the audience. And you can't play games, and you can't juice page views and skew the numbers just for one quarter or just for one month mm-hmm. because it's fake. And 
it's only the real stuff that matters long term. And if you're really building a long lasting brand, it's a lot actually about being willing to take short term compromises for long term gain. And what does that look like? Well, I mean, the obvious example is, you know, not creating lots of clickbaity bullshit content. You know, yeah. we want content to do really well on the internet. We package and frame our content in a way that we think is really shareable, but we don't do sensationalized clickbaity titles. Mm. We are scared to overpromise in the title something of an mm. article because the one time you click in expecting one thing and get another is the time in which a user no longer trusts and cares about us and believes we're on their side. And so, again, that is maybe not the best way to build a 100 million unique visitor a month, $50 million advertising paid for business. Right. That's not what I want to build, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I don't think that's the wrong approach for some people. But for me, yeah, we don't play those games. And if we can't build it organically, we try to find another arena in which we can win the right way. And I actually think most of these platforms increasingly move towards celebrating, encouraging, and promoting the better stuff. Right. And so there, I think it's about just time. You know, if your job is to kind of get huge on Facebook and sell, that's, you know, not my, I'm not interested in that. That is a hard, tricky game to play, but some people play it beautifully. Yeah. You know, uh, we are in the early daily, they want to know. Yeah, so that would be a great example. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's really, you know, there are three other or four other examples of people who've tried, who tried to do exactly what they did and don't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's a dangerous game to play. I tend to think of all of this in a longer term sense, which is if we need to, if we're going to change the way people think about health, how do we build a business that will be sustainable, that will build on itself over time? And that doesn't need to maximize one tiny window to succeed, you know, or fail. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies now are trying to produce, you know, good value content. So because you guys are so intentional in building an organic audience, what are some of the things, if you can share some tips and tricks that you have done in order to be sustainable and be like ranked number one on Google every single time? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest trick to rank, ranking number one in Google is write great content in a space that there's very little of it, and they get a lot of people to share it because it's that good. <laughs> They're crazy. <laughs> what a crazy hack. <laughs> but, you know, I would be the first to admit that our SEO strategy, quote unquote, was exactly what Google told people to do, which was write great content. <laughs> yeah, but nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wants to do the hard work. You know, I've been working my ass off for six years and I would love, there's nothing more than I would love to do than work my ass off for another 50 <laughs> Yeah. Because I think hard work and attention and care to the details, I think doing it right long-term pays off. It's maybe not as sexy, but it's just like health. I have this whole, I'm trying to put this together. Maybe you can help me. Like, it's kind of like health. You know, losing a ton of weight in a short period of time is rarely sticks, yep. right? What you need to do is adopt healthy habits that you enjoy, that you keep doing over a long period of time, right. and then your life is long and happy yep. instead of full of guilt and shame over something you didn't accomplish or, you know, the yo-yo effect of, 
always looking for what's next. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think similarly about building a business, actually, that our job is to continue to get better and better and better. And it's okay if we mess up sometimes, but to, you know, not mess up so bad that you have to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I haven't fully figured that out. But there's something there about how our, we are trying to build a healthy long-term business that lasts. And I think lasting, doing it right in a market that's really lucrative and with very ambitious agenda is the best way to build a multi-billion dollar business. And I still believe very much we're going to. Mm-hmm. And that is a, you know, it's what they talk about when they say you're, you know, an overnight success. Yeah. It takes seven to 10 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we're on our way. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. If you're stuck for ideas around how to develop your logo, website design, or business cards, DesignCrowd can give you access to 600,000 creative minds from around the world. Once you've launched your brief, designers will begin submitting quality designs for you to review. With some constructive feedback, you can quickly generate a large gallery of designs that really do fit your needs. Rather than paying expensive fees and waiting weeks for agencies to pitch an idea, you can have exactly what you need within three days. Once you've selected your favorite idea, you'll be sent all the files you need to update your branding. If you don't like any of the submitted designs, then DesignCloud offers a money back guarantee. To get your custom design done by the crowd, check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD to learn more and receive your startup hand-me-downs VIP offer when you start your next project. All our listeners get a special $100 off their first project, so check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. That's designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. Or simply enter the discount code HMD when you're posting a project on DesignCrowd. Okay, let's get back into the show. So I want to switch gears a little bit now and talk a little bit more about culture. Yeah. So you guys are notorious for your amazing culture here. You've won many awards over many years. Um, and you've created this culture that is like unparalleled to anything. Obviously a lot of thought has gone into this, as we could say. <laughs> no, no, I mean it. Um, obviously a lot of thought has gone into this and it's created this work environment which is really authentic and genuine. How did you create that and, and why was it so important to you to create such a good culture here? Yeah, it is so nice. It's nice coming from someone who's actually like been here. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't think it's that hard to create a great culture. Actually, I think people talk about culture a lot because they don't want to do it. They mm-hmm. just want to talk about it. I got to start from scratch. So in that sense, it's easier because a lot of people are trying to fix things that are already wrong. Whereas I got to and very simply create the culture I wanted most yeah. to do my best work. Right. And so my job is to create a culture that enables everyone to do their best work however they work best. And I had some ideas about what that would be for me. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've incorporated lots of other people that are not just like me who feel strongly about what they need. And so a lot of companies offer the same benefits we do. Mm-hmm. Flexible hours and no vacation policy and... Snacks everywhere. Snacks <laughs> and, you know, and fun events and yeah. drinking or whatever, you know. Cold fitness drink. activities and ice, iced coffee. I think none of that shit matters at all. Yeah. It's all about why. What is that there for? Yeah. And also, how do you hire people? 
that will not abuse that, but actually use that as fuel to be the best people, the best professionals they can be. And I would say, so I would say first, the most important part about building a great culture is to have a leader who cares about it at all. And I do a lot. I've seen how much I care about it. And the second thing is to hire people who are going to thrive in it. Mm. Uh, Because I think that second part is really key. And fire people, you know, when um, they don't thrive in it. Even if they're talented, even if they're good people, you know. And I think you also have to allow it and embrace it changing over time, which it definitely has. You know, just even, you know, since you were here, yeah. it's it's changed, you know? You've even, even seen somewhere else. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm sitting in another seat, I know. Wow. Yeah. And I think, but it's really crucial to me. Yeah. I think it actually goes back to building a business right. Right. You know, um, I'd like to think we're a, a, an example of a business that has succeeded far and above its resources and its, you know, amount of people. And uh, in, you know, far and above the amount of time that it's been around, in part because we've empowered people to, you know, do the best work while they're here, right? However that is. Yeah. So when is the right time for a startup to start thinking about culture? Is it employee number five, 10, one? Like, when do you start incorporating this culture? Oh, I wrote the core values before the business started. I think you got to, that is... Whenever someone says, oh, we're starting to work on our core values, it sounds it's like an insane thing to me. How can you work on your core values after existing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. your core. The core values are not to, you know, if you haven't created them, sometimes I scare people and I tell them, if you think you're creating core values now, you just don't know what your core values have already become. Right. You know, or you're not going to want to admit that, you know? That's good. And it, I think you do have to be very intentional. Yeah. Now, like most startups, you fall on hard times. Um, and earlier this year, creators had to make some pretty tough decisions and let um, a good portion of the company go. Now, this happens to startups all the time around the world, you know, cash flow issues or whatever may happen. So how did that, I guess, affect the team and how did it affect you? Yeah. Uh, so we did have to make a hard call at the beginning of this year. And yes, it happens at all these companies. Yeah. Of course. Of course it happens, happens at startups all the time. Yeah. But no founder, at least not me, ever thought that it's something that would happen. Of course. There, right? Like I always thought, sure, that happens to other people, but I won't do that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it is. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, you know, made bad decisions. We put our faith in like the wrong industry at the wrong time. We hired poorly and I made calls that knowing what I knew, know now, if I had known that then, I would have done them differently. But it ended up being that we had to let go of a meaningful portion of our team and it sucked. I just honestly, like for me, it was terrifically painful and I wasn't the one being let go, you know? And and that, that part is, is, uh, killer you know and and there it's it's like i just remember sitting there and being like okay we have no way out right the last thing we want to do is you know there's nothing worse than running this into the ground so that you know 
this company doesn't have a chance to succeed. That's the ultimate disservice to people yeah. that work here and have worked here. Mm -hmm. So then we have to make the best of a real shit situation. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that? And look, I, we did a lot wrong, frankly. I, you know, I tried to, it was my first time really letting, you know, meaningful amount of people go. And, yeah. and I, I, and we tried to do the best we could. And I think we did okay, uh, but it sucked so bad. And we probably only started recovering, I want to say six months after that. I think it took that amount of time for us to kind of poke our head out and say, okay, we're starting to get back to growth. You know, that was the plan. The plan was always, you know, um, we, we, grew, thought, we, yeah. we grew too fast. Yeah. You know, our revenue didn't pace our expenses. We realized that, you know, later than I would have liked, mm -hmm. but in time for us to turn around and this business still has a lot of potential and opportunity and we need to rebuild. And so that's what we've been doing. And I think we're very much on track now, but emotionally it was a real toll for everyone yeah. here. Yeah. People who left, of course, but also the people who stay. Mm. And as a, as a founder, it feels like a terrible failure. And in some ways it is, but in other ways, this is the way like, all things are, you know? And I'm a first time founder. I've been doing this for six years and I've learned so much in this experience yeah. and I'm such a better leader than I was when I first started out. And I think maybe there are some people who are just amazing at this and perfect and flawless. Mm -hmm. Just like maybe there are some people who in health never struggle remotely with anything. <laughs> but I find I need to make mistakes for myself before I really learn them. Yeah, and I agree. And it is so sad that it has to affect other people. Mm. Um, in the process. So my hope is that this learning will prevent that from happening again. Um, but, you know, it could happen. And it'll maybe be many more people in yeah. the future, you know? I hope not, yeah. but it's always possible. And, and so it was a real learning experience and it really sucked. And I don't wish that on anyone. Yeah. Um, and I think it's making us as a business stronger and smarter. You know, we are... We had a profitable month last month, <laughs> so we are we are uh, you know effectively a business that now is not only paying for itself but headed in the direction where it'll you know be profitable from from what we've built already, and and that is you know it is exciting, and I'm only sorry that it had to take some of these hard decisions to get there. Yeah, and I had left before that time, but I kind of saw the run up to that, you know board meetings and this and that and the other um, and I know that you guys did everything that you could to like avoid that situation so I guess like post that happening what did you learn most about yourself coming out of that situation it's mm, a good question you know you were there so you saw a lot yeah and I appreciate you talking about how hard we were working to prevent the situation. Yeah, no. Because yeah. we really were. And very few people would know that, you know, for somebody who just works here day to day. We're, I think we're a relatively transparent company. People heard from us every month. Yeah. You know, multiple people that we let go said, like, it wasn't a surprise. You were telling us every yeah. month what was going on. <laughs> yeah. But for, you know, a lot of other people, they were really caught by surprise. They'd only been here for a little bit or, or you know, frankly, they just didn't think it was going to happen. And, and I think the thing that I learned about myself 
definitely financially, I learned the importance of having great advisors. Mm. Um, it's something that I've struggled with finding and it's something that I personally had, especially early on at greatest, you know, we didn't make a lot of revenue early on. That was kind of the point. The point was build trust, build an audience and, you know, fund the company through investors. And then we started to sort of make a little bit of money, but the minute we started making a little bit of money, we raised more money and then started spending it. And so it was a real sort of forced lesson in financial responsibility, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. And uh, it helped me recognize some of my weaknesses that I need to find other people to compliment me on. Right. And that's not always, recognizing that is always, not always that great mm -hmm. because then it means you actually have to find someone who will help you. Yeah. As you know, we've been trying to find people to fill in certain gaps here that, um, you know, for timing reasons or, or you know, budget reasons we yeah. couldn't afford, right, to bring in. But I'm not everything. And I used to be at one point with greatest, I could do almost everything mediocrely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now not only can I not do everything mediocrely, I can't do most things. Yeah. And a few things that I focus on, I'm supposed to be amazing at, but everything else I need help with. Sure. And this really helped me open my eyes to some of those things that I was kidding myself about being good at, you know? And so I hope that I have learned that lesson and I think I have. Um, what's your biggest productivity hack? And I know you have many, so narrow it down to one. Just one. Just one, if you can. How long do we have? No. <laughs> my best, I mean, frankly, my best productivity hack is always time blocking. Right. I think multitasking is the biggest time killer. And the more I can bulk process, the more interviews I can do back to back, the more in-person meetings I can do back to back, the more emails I can check and knock out in my email inbox. You know, I do this on a week-to-week -week basis. I do it on a day-to-day -day basis. Every moment of my time, I want to be focused on one chunk of type of work yeah. and then move on to a new chunk of type of work, not just do it all at once. Yeah. Because that way I'm not reactive, I'm actually proactive. Mm. It's sort of, uh, that's basically, I think, the most important thing. Yeah, that's actually something, one of the many things I've taken from you. So I time look everything. Like yeah. Waking up, so like to here. Today's product, today's, you know, start hand me downs, this, that, like every hour is accounted for. Good. It's great. That's what I like to hear. Um, and what's been the biggest lesson? Do you, you have, have a, do you have a time block that is don't do anything? No. <laughs> I try, I mean, I do, but I never stick to it. <laughs> it's usually at 10 p.m. as well. So I have like, oh, my no. little 30 minute pause yeah. during the day. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm and I'm supposed to not do anything. <laughs> uh, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned since starting Graces? If you can narrow it down to one. The largest lesson learned. The one that comes to mind for some reason is that the people are always first. I think uh, life is short and 
building a business is hard mm. and you can't build a business on your own. And so nothing matters more than the people. And that means both in terms of you need to find great people. And when I found great people, they have been met and exceeded my expectations and helped us do things I couldn't have imagined doing on my own. Mm. And when real shit happens to people, remembering that that is, this is important what we're building, but that the people are the most important um, is something that I think has kept me grounded and I think that has humbled me and that continues to be sort of why I think we have a good culture and why I get to go home every night proud of what we're building and who I get to build it with. Yeah. And what's the single piece of advice you would give to anyone starting out right now? Usually my number one piece of advice is don't do it. Okay. <laughs> because, because I want someone to fight with me. I want someone to tell me, no, you're wrong. I have to do it. And then I try to help however I can and, and we'll introduce them to everyone I know and support them in any way that I possibly can because building a startup is not sexy. It's hard yeah. and it's hard and takes probably years off your life and it is, uh, you know, hurts your personal life. No matter what people say, it messes with your relationships. It means you're going to spend less time hanging out with your friends and your loved ones. It means you're not going to know what TV shows are cool or be able to watch as many. It means that so many, there's so many implications of being uniquely focused, passionate, and having a priority in your life that almost nobody does, which is like building something. Mm. And make sure it's worth it for you. Let's go get a job and come home at 5.30 and, you know, watch Netflix. You know, when people tell me their hobby is watching Netflix, I just, like, I can't deal with it. I also kind of admire that and envy that. Yeah. You know, there's a part of me that wishes that that was enough. Enough for me and that that was satisfying. But for me, it's not. I sit there, I watch this and I go, man, I wish I was creating the show myself. Like, I could do a better job. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I wonder like what the next Netflix is. If I sit there and I think in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that's true for most people. And I'm, I'm not sure I would wish it on most people. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's a good place to end. Derek, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the show. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? Um, I'm all over the internet. Yeah. Uh, I'm just Derek Flans on Twitter and Facebook, I think. And I'm just Derek at Greatest if you want to email me. I like emails. And just launched a new video series called What's Good, which you should check out. And greatest.com with an IST, guys. Yeah. Yeah, those videos are very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Just want to say another massive thank you to Derek for coming on the show and being so open, some powerful stuff, man. Um, it was great to be back in the office and I'm super excited to see how Grace does this year. What Derek didn't mention on the episode is that since then, they've launched an app called Greater, where people can get into groups and complete a diet together. It's pretty awesome. Um, so be sure to check it out and give the Greatest team some feedback. So that's Greater and it's available on the App Store today. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review 
on iTunes and wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. Honestly, guys, it goes a long way, those reviews. Um, also, please check out our website, Startup Hand-Me-Downs. It's been completely redone. Uh, and you'll also be able to find other episodes transcribed so you can share some of the learnings with others. Okay, guys, that's it from us. Until next time, keep hustling.